Welcome to Indie Dotes, the podcast that shares the stories of independent creators. I'm your host, Susan Bond. <gasps> it's recording. Today we have Matt Wynn on the show. Matt is the founder and uh, a founder and CEO of Cucumber Limited, um, and he is joining us today from the west coast of Scotland, where he lives on a 19th century farm. Welcome to the show. It makes it sound like I live in a museum, doesn't it? When he said it, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> so, do you live in a museum? Yeah, and we all dress in 19th century clothing every day and eat 19th century food. Uh, no. So, so wait, just how old is this 19th century farm, like the, well, build, the, the, the building you live in? That is, so we don't know how old the barns are. It's like a, a steading building. So there's a there's a sort of a, a U-shape of, of stone um, barns and then there's a cottage on the end and the cottage is 1836. Mm. Wow, okay, yeah. But the, that's, that's the barn old. buildings are older. Wow, that that's pretty old. So do you have a lot of... Uh, I was going to say, do you have a lot of plumbing problems? Or, or, <laughs> I don't know why I keep thinking plumbing. But so I don't realise we're going to get this personal so early, Susan. Um, <laughs> to, well, yeah, like, the, to, funnily enough, so we, I mean, we've, we've lived in the house for about four years, I think, and um, when we bought it, it was a wreck, and the water supply comes off the, the hill. It's a private water supply. So um, the first year that we were here, um, very often, like when I would be working, I would have to say to, to the team, actually, I need to take the day off because our water supply stopped working. And then I'd have to spend the day like hiking around the mountains, following the pipe, finding where the leak was. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of fun, but it was, you know, a bit disruptive. <laughs> wow. I, I, I really love that story. Hiking around the mountains. What are you doing today? Hiking around the mountains, trying to find a leak. <laughs> and I'm going to patch it. So what would you carry with you? I mean, I, did you mm. like? How did you patch it? Like, did you carry? I mean, I mean, it's not. Tape, yeah, I would. I'd like take take a backpack with like um, maybe a bit of spare pipe and some and some valves because you you've got this like I don't know what's how many millimeters is it thirty two mil um, p- p- uh, plastic pipe that, that the stuff runs in um, maybe a bit of a length of that to repair it. Um, yeah, some tools, um, a pipe cutter in case I need to cut a piece of the pipe. Um, yeah, but that was always the thing. It's like you'd, you'd, you'd try and anticipate what you were going to need depending on what you thought the problem might be and then you'd head out on a hike and then sometimes you'd get there and you'd be like, oh no, I need a wrench. And then you'd have to, you know, go back to the house, go get the wrench and then hike back up again. That was right, mark the... this, mark this, Mark the spot <laughs> yeah. where you found it. Yeah, yeah and, and, go, and, and come, up, come all the way back. Okay, last question on this 19th century farm. <laughs> Did you, had you worked with plumbing and those things before? Like, yeah. how did you know what you were doing? I've, I made the mistake once of saying to my wife in a, I think I was slightly drunk, saying, telling her that I was born to plumb. So I actually really oh, no. like plumbing. I, oh. I find it um, really satisfying in the same way as I find software development satisfying. Um, and there's something, I don't know, there's something funny about plumbing that like, it, which is a bit like code, that um, it either works or you get piss wet through, like covered in water. Like, um, you know, you never you never quite get that sense of like, woo, this is brilliant. It's either just like, okay, there's no leaks, good. Or 
oh no, now I've got to spend half a day debugging why that little valve is bleeding. Or, do you know what I mean? Oh, so it's like, yeah. it's, it's, it, there's only ever okay or, or anything below that. Um, but yeah, it's really satisfying somehow. <laughs> I like it. I literally wet through sometimes when it comes to uh, plumbing. <laughs> That's great. I love the, the parallels between plumbing and uh, software development. So that's what we're here to talk today about, not right, plumbing. Segue. Yeah, yeah, software development. Um, so uh, can you tell us, a, a t- just tell everybody who doesn't know what Cucumber is and, you know. Right, so if I meet somebody at a party or something, that I say um, it's a computer program that tests other computer programs. So that's a good way in for somebody that doesn't know anything about software. If you know something about software, um, even if it's just like from having been around a software project as maybe as a, as a business stakeholder, you'll know that there are very often problems when you commission and develop software projects that the business people and the technical people that are making the software don't necessarily always understand each other very well. And there can be a lot of miscommunication and that results in a lot of wasted time with people building the wrong thing, showing it back to the business stakeholders and saying that's not what I wanted. Um, and then having to kind of rework it, and that's all very frustrating um, and yeah, kind of boring for people basically um, fumbling about like that. So the beauty of Cucumber is that when you write these tests that describe what you want the software to do, um, you can write them in pretty much plain English. So you, as a completely non-technical person, I'm, I know you're not completely non-technical, Susan, but let's imagine that you were. Right. Um, if I'm writing some software for you, you and I can sit down and basically write a document, like a specification document, with examples of how you want the, the program to behave. Um, and then I can give those examples to Cucumber and it can run them and we can get confidence then that the software is doing all of that stuff that you said you wanted it to do. And in fact, I can then use Cucumber to kind of help me guide the development. So on the one level, it's just a testing tool. Um, but on the other hand, when it's used in the right way, it becomes kind of almost like a facilitator for the conversations that need to happen back and forth between the, um, the person with the ideas and the, and the business problems and the person with the, the technical know-how to solve those business problems. It becomes a, a sort of conduit for that conversation. Well, there's a lot of problems in, like, there's a, a big gap sometimes between those audiences, right? Like the software development and the business. And a lot of times the communication is a massive problem. Yeah, and they speak different languages and yep. maybe they even have different kind of imperatives, you know, um, different things they're interested in, different paradigms almost. So, um, the, the, like, yeah, trying to get that collaboration, that communication to be effective is it's almost like a universal problem. Um, and it's one that I've been passionate about like as long as I've been working in software, really. Mm. Um, when I was a kid just tinkering around with programs, I kind of never really realized it was a problem. But as soon as I started getting paid to do it, and then I'd be like, why are you asking me to do this? This is stupid. Um, and, you know, and then I'd make it and then they'd go, that's not what I wanted. And I'm like, I'm, I kind of thought you were probably going to say that. Or <laughs> equally, you know, um, I'd get a thing and, and I'd, spend weeks crafting it and then show it to someone and they go no that's not actually now i've thought about it that's not really what i need i need to do be something else um yes and it's just it's it's and and kind of almost anybody that you speak to recognizes that it's a it's a problem um and i don't know whether you know cucumber entirely cracks the problem but it definitely uh it definitely seems to help yeah 
So how did you first discover or get into cucumber? Right, well, uh, back in 2007-ish, 2006 maybe, um, I was working at the BBC and I had a coach called Jason Gorman, who was mm -hmm. a big influence on me at the time. And he was he was a like proper sort of agile coach, first proper agile coach I'd ever met. And he got um I remember he got Martin Fowler to come in and do a lunchtime talk at the BBC and I met Martin Fowler. I got to have lunch with Martin Fowler. And wow. um and J Jason just did loads of cool stuff and he was really sort of disruptive and um uh really like passionate about extreme programming and um gave me a lot of confidence, a lot of those those ideas. And uh, he, I was talking to him about like other places to learn and he suggested going to the SPA conference, um, Software Practice Advancement. I think it was 2006 and Dan North was talking with Joe Walms and they had did this talk called Awesome Acceptance Testing and it was all about the experiments they'd been doing, I guess they were at ThoughtWorks then, um, with BDD. And I just kind of went, whoa, this is it. This is brilliant. This is just what I need. And um, it just lit, lit a fire under me, really. And I just started reading about it and learning about it and wanting to be part of the community. I got drunk with Dan that evening. Um, and essentially, I left what was quite a lucrative uh, contract job there at the BBC as a, as a C-sharp developer. So I was working on a Microsoft stack. Um, I left that to go and work at a startup in Shoreditch for literally half the the daily rate um, to learn Ruby because um, of RSpec. So Dan got me onto the team around RSpec. Well, not not got me onto, but got, got me to know or got me to know about the team around RSpec, which is like David Chalimsky at the time, mm -hmm. Aslak Helisoy, um, a couple of others whose names aren't jumping into my my brain right now. Um, but those people were like they cared about this problem the same way as I did about like trying to bridge this communication gap, and they were they were trying to build tools to help and helping Dan build tools to help, um, and so yeah, I just wanted to like try and be part of that community. I'd always uh, looked at open source kind of almost from the outside as somebody on the Microsoft stack because it's not really at the time anyway. It wasn't really something that Microsoft people did. And I'd always grown up on Microsoft technologies. I'd been a VB developer and um, and I'd kind of look at open source as this exotic thing and I thought, right, I want to be part of that community. So I found a job writing Ruby and um, we just started using the RSpec Story Runner in the last few weeks of my contract at the BBC. And then um, when I went to go and work at Songkick, we started using uh, Cucumber there, which just been as like just started it that summer um so we started using it right from day one mm. so let's um fast forward a little bit like uh so we you know you've discovered cucumber and then i'd love to go to you know the formation of cucumber uh limited mm. and and, and the, you know and where you started working on uh, really working on making Cucumber Pro and working right. on that. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, so I'm going to tell it a little bit slowly, right? Between that point in... So it was 2008 
the summer okay. of 2008 and I was working at Songkick and it was all quite exciting and uh, fresh and I was working on Linux for the first time ever and learning Ruby <laughs> and I had no idea what I was doing uh, in Ruby and in Rails at all. I'd been writing C Sharp all my life but this this company had, had given me a chance and I was on the mailing list but I really believed in Cucumber and using it as a tool to help us do, to do uh, BDD to build out this app and I was on the mailing list all the time. Um, I really became part of the the kind of community of people that was on the mailing list, both because I was seeking help and like figuring out how to use the tool, and also because then I found that there were people who were just a bit behind me, like because people were joining this project all the time because it was so new. People who were just like two weeks behind me who I could help. And this is great because I found that I could now give something back to the open source community, which I'd always want, you know, wanted to be part of an open source community. Mm. Now I can do it and I can be this part of it. This exotic thing, right? This exotic yeah. thing. I want to be and, part of it. <laughs> and here I am. And now I can give something. I can help. Uh. And uh, I did that for about a year. And over the next year, I actually started to get the hang of programming in Ruby because I was a reasonably good C-sharp programmer and, and I could transfer a lot of those skills to Ruby. Um and so now I actually started to get to know the code in Cucumber a bit as well as just being a user of it. Um, so I got kind of deeper in it and answering more and more questions on the mailing list. And I met Aslak uh, that summer because I went to um, Agile 2009 in Chicago and I met um, David Chalimsky and Aslak. And um, Aslak and I spent a day hacking on a bit of Cucumber and, and he said, did I want to join the core team? And I said, yay. So since that point on, I was then kind of on the inside in Cucumber and part of the you know team making decisions about how to build it and stuff, um, and still being on the mailing list a lot. And when I left Songkick, which I think was about was early 2010, really early 2010, um, David had just finished a book, the Aspect book. And he'd said to his editor, they had a chapter on Cucumber in that book, and he'd said to his editor, you know, you could get a whole book out of this. And um, Jackie said, oh, who would you get to write that? And David said, well, Matt Wynn uh, writes really well on the mailing list. Hmm. So Jackie called me and said, do you want to write a book? And I just left my job in London and we were moving up to Scotland to renovate this house and it was all a bit scary and crazy. Um, and somebody said, do you want to write a book? And I had only got into this project, you know, two years before. Um, so it was really exciting. And um, so I did it together with, Al with Aslak. And, um, was he already on board when they asked you? Did you already know that? No. And it was sort of, I'd say it was mainly my project. In that, like, what, what happened was they asked me. And then um, I thought, well, I'd, I don't want to do this without sort of checking in with Aslak and seeing how he feels about it. And I, and I spoke to him and he said, well, I'd quite like to be part of it what do you think? And I said, well, that would be great. Um, cause I really enjoy collaborating with Aslak on things. Um, and so, yeah, we, we, you know, um, the way we balanced out the work was, uh, I probably did more of the writing and he did more of the sort of technical stuff to get all the, it's quite arduous getting the, uh, all of the examples together for a, for a book and making it all work. Um, it is for a horrendous. technical book. It's more time than people think. Yeah. So he did some wonders on that and he wrote some of the recipe chapters as well. And just generally, like, we were a team, you know, so it was really good to have somebody to, to bounce ideas off and, and discuss things. Anyway, so we wrote a book. And as soon as the book got published, um, 
I suddenly found that I was able to, um, I was getting asked to do training for people. So there were more and more people starting to use Cucumber and use BDD and um, my name was on a book and suddenly uh, I could charge these extraordinary day rates for doing a training <laughs> course that I could never dream of getting paid for doing software development. And it was, it was like amazing, um, but you know, bit like I was doing a bit of a mix of both, um, still doing contracting work as a Ruby developer, um, but, but doing training gigs when I could get them. And it just kind of grew and grew and I re at some point I made a decision that I was going to stop, how do I put it? I wasn't going to code for money anymore. I decided I was going to just, I was still good, like I absolutely couldn't imagine giving up the work on, on Cucumber, the open source project. Um, and uh, I also had a couple of side projects that I was um, playing around with but I decided that I could I reckon I could sustain myself from just the, the training money and because of what it meant was that like if I did maybe I don't know uh, let's say five days of training in a month I could we could probably live off that as a family and then that meant that I had a lot more free time to put into you know coding on things that I f I cared about rather than that I had to do because I was doing that from for money you know what I mean mm-hmm um, and it was a bit of a leap of faith. It was a bit touch and go, but it worked out fine. And it was quite a good rule to have set myself. I just said, like, I'm, I'm going to try this and try not coding for money anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. S uh, and so I was doing that as just as me. And I guess that started in 2011 when the book came out. I think maybe I took my little vow there in, in maybe 2012. And... Um, Around that time, I was building this thing called Relish, which was sort of like the pr uh, predecessor to, to Cucumber Pro. It's like the prototype, if you like, for Cucumber uh -huh. Pro. Uh, and there's a bit of a story behind how that came about, but maybe that's not so interesting as to think about. We, um, I, I sort of badgered away at Aslak um, to quit his job because he had mm -hmm. a really great job. Um, getting paid loads of money and you know I was just kind of scraping by really but I think I had a, a nicer lifestyle and um, just kept badgering and badgering him <laughs> um, and yeah some sometime in 2013 one conversation led to another and um, he and Julien Bisman uh, mm -hmm. and I started cucumber limited and julian had been doing some training for me because i'd started to get more training work than i had time to do yep um and we got, we all three got on well um and we had this idea that we were going to build this product that was going to help to sort of make cucumber into a sustainable ecosystem so we'd be able to you know charge um companies that were using cucumber would be able to charge them some money for using this pro it's not really a pro version but like this this uh this this extra stuff that was that was going to make it um enhance how, how 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 it could be used for them uh and then kind of recycle that revenue back into you know time that we could spend on the open source and then we make the open source better and then the community gets even bigger and it's just like a nice virtuous circle that was the plan 
Well, so when you, um, so how did you, when, like, I guess, I'm like, where do I want to form this question? <laughs> we would talk about like the extra stuff, right? So like it's built on open source and then building the extra, the extra stuff. How did you make that decision, the decisions about what you wanted to add on? Well, so it's, it's, it, it probably needs to be stated and I still uh, wonder whether we'll end up renaming the product one day, but right now its name is Cucumber Pro, so we'll, we'll talk about it like that. But it's, yep. it, it needs to be said clearly that this isn't just like a better cucumber. It's a different thing altogether. That's really so, good distinction. <laughs> yeah. Really, it's really but, but it's not right? so obvious. <laughs> it's not so obvious when you look at the names and, and we, no, you no, know. No, that, no, that, that's exactly why it's a good distinction to make. <laughs> yeah, we observe, we observe people bumping into that sometimes. Um, but so, so cucumber, it's, a, it's an open source tool that is used by technical people to, to validate those um, plain language specification documents that we've written together, right? You and I collaborate on a, on a plain language specification document. You don't even really know like what format it is, but it does have to have a little bit of, of format um, structure so that Cucumber is going to be able to understand it. But you don't really know about that. I've mm -hmm. just been like showing you a, um, a text file or it could be in a Word document or something. And then I take it away and um, I can run it and use it in my technical stuff that I'm doing and I can maybe show you a nice report that shows that um, that it's working now but it sort of disappears into the technical world because Cucumber is a technical tool that's used by technicians at a, at a command prompt um, and it lives in the technical world and the problem with that is that the whole premise of this is that we want to bring you know business people and technical people closer together and yet the tool just lives in the hands of the technical people so the idea with Pro is that we pr we create a space, like a shared collaboration space, where those specification documents continue to live after um, we first write them down together. And when I'm taking them and running them and testing them, you can still see them. You can, if, if you change your mind about stuff or um, the conversation moves on, you can give me feedback and we can, we can modify them together. You can see the, tests getting run, see what they're valid. As we build up like a massive system, a large system with maybe thousands of examples of different things that it does, you can be in there reorganizing that documentation so it makes sense to you, so it's gonna make sense to the person who's gonna take your job after you if you're moving on. Um, you know, you can make that into a, a living document of, of, the, of what the system does, right? That's the idea. So Pro creates that space where the whole team can continue to um, to keep that documentation alive and keep their hands on it and make sure that it's relevant and it's working for everybody. So it's almost a bit like it's a bit like Google Docs in that way, like that that you know you can eat, everybody can get hold of it, um, and we want it to feel like. Like as as familiar and easy to use as a as a word document would for a you know your average kind of business analyst that's working in a fortune five hundred company somewhere and agile sweeping through the the organization and people are talking about continuous delivery and it all seems and they started using jira for project management and it all seems a bit like scary and outfacing that that business analyst has still got a tool that feels mm. okay you know feels safe feels feels like they're still in control. Right, and feels something maybe a little more familiar to them. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, rather than something very technical. Mm-hmm. Got it. So, so, so it's more of like a shared collaboration space. Yes. And how did you begin, you know, figuring out what should be in that? Well, um, there have been two versions of the tool, and the first one that we built in two thousand and started building in two thousand thirteen. I think we figured that out all the wrong way. Mm. So uh, Ooh, tell me more. You know, let's I talk love about. I'm like, let's talk about the wrong way because yeah. that's what we really care about. Like, what what were the mistakes? And, it, and it's learn? so you know, it's such a it's such a cliche. Um, but what we did was uh, we had some cool technology called ShareJS that we came across, which is like an open source um, library for doing that thing. It's called operational transforms that Google mm-hmm. Docs does that allows you and I to both have a cursor in the same document. And as soon as I type anything, you see that reflection ah, on your document yes. and, and so on. All right. But it looked like super sciencey, clever technology when Google first came out with it, but actually it's just a thing called operational transforms and somebody had written a library. And so we started building a thing that would let you do that for feature files so that people could collaborate across the world because we thought it would be cool. We thought it was cool technology and it would be cool and people would find it really useful. Is, is that what you mean when you say that uh, it was so uh, stereotypical or cliche because it was cool? Is that well, no, because it was technology first. Ah. So we, yeah. start, we didn't start with, the, with like what's the main business problem that our users have got. We started with here's a really cool piece of technology. Surely our users are going to love, uh, love this. Mm. Right, and so we started wrapping a tool around that that idea of people being able to collaborate on feature files live. And to be fair, there you know there were, were a significant number of people that that um, did really like that idea. Um, however, some other decisions that we made there also um, complected it, as Rich Hickey would say. So we get like uh, also the idea of then. You know, when when we're collapsed, so <clears throat> when uh, 99 times out of 100, when a team are using Cucumber in their um, in their team to automate their tests, they are checking those specification documents into source control with the code. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're using source control like Git. Um, maybe they're using GitHub or or Bitbucket. And. Um, so if you have a tool that allows people to modify those feature files, that tool also needs to be able to then send updates to the document or allow updates to the document to sort of synchronize it to the source control. Yep. And that turned out to be a whole nother huge technical uh, minefield for us to, to solve. You know, what happens if the documents changed in source control and it's changed on pro how do you um how do you merge the changes how do you merge the changes in a way that is going to feel in any way sane to somebody who's used to using word documents mm. um and then you've got like the vagarities of bitbucket's api versus github's api and we just got mired in technical problems and at some point after about a year of pot, like working on this with with a, a huge amount of passion and and 
uh, vigor in our spare time while we were trying to run a training business as well, right? So that was like how, where right. all the money was coming from. Right. So we'd be hacking on this in hotel rooms and on planes and, right. uh, you know, the odd day that we got spare because all of a sudden, um, you know, it turned out that like actually to run a training business that was coordinating three of us, we needed to pay like um, uh, 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 an uh, EA type of person. So Tracy, who right. like organizes our lives to yep. book all our flights and make sure that we were in the right place in the world at the right time. Um, so then you have to do more training work to make sure that we've got enough money to pay pay Tracy and right. so it grows arms and legs right so um, and then there's still the open source that you want to be working on as well so we're trying to juggle all the all of basically you know your uh, there was two versions of the cucumber uh, of mm. cucumber pro and you get you're getting mired in technology instead of sort of looking at uh, what does it was technology first rather than what was the thing you're trying to solve yeah and and we had. Um, Sort of, and also we'd taken a kind of, it was almost like a spike. What we built, really, like a prototype the first time, um, in that we we were fairly rough and ready with the quality level of the of the code, which is unusual for us. I think certainly, uh, yeah, all of us have got fairly kind of high standard about what um, what good code looks like generally. But we were, you know, trying to get something out there, trying to get feedback and so on, and we ended up with a code base that we actually was just like didn't want to live in and mm. um the users didn't really like the the product as it was like, okay this is pretty demoralizing yeah how, i was just going to ask you how was that was that like a pretty well, low point well <laughs> i'm sorry yeah. i don't mean to reach make you reach for your uh, handkerchief here but mm. i'm just curious about how that the experience and how did you bounce back from that well so what we did was we took a break mm. we we um we had a a meetup and uh, all three of us came with our families uh and Tracy came as well actually and we and we got this um it's amazing house you can, so living architecture is an advert if you ever come to the UK living architecture my my wife Anna's an architect and um she told us about this this thing and they, these are like incredible architected buildings that are designed and built speci specifically as like um, holiday homes so you can experience real architecture and we went to the balancing barn in Suffolk and if you look it up um, on Google it's incredible it's just like this uh, it's, it looks like a barn but it's made of like metal um, and it's sticking out over the side of a hill like how, it's wow. like a kind of science miracle. Like, how does it do that? So it's, it's um, cantilevered, and it's and it's sticking out of the side of it, and it's got like big glass floors. So you can anyway. It's an amazing. In, um, yeah, I w totally want to go there now. I'm like inspiring space. <laughs> yeah. Amazing, inspiring space, and at that meetup, and we were reflecting on, uh, you know, where things were going and how we were getting on, and we didn't give up on pro at that point. But what we did was we decided to make a video series and because we thought like how can we productize the training that we're always doing how can we productize what a word but how can we how can we turn the pro the training that we have to you know go out every day and do into something that's like a generate more passive income so Julian and I came up with a plan we were going to start making a video series and we were you know it was going to take us like eight weeks and we we're going to do it all lean and 
just get people to sign up and buy it and we would produce a video every week and um, it was going to be fine. And then, you know, how projects go, especially when you're employing perfectionists to build them. I think it took us six months, wow. maybe even more, to finish Cucumber School. Um, oh, it turned what, into a monster. Call, yeah. That's yeah. what you called it, the video series. You called it Cucumber, Cucumber School. School. It took us, yep. it, it took us something. Ah, uh, God, I wish I had all the stats to hand. I don't. It's, it makes it makes a better story if I know them. But um, you know, the the whole plan of like trying to put out an episode a week just melted away in the face of the reality of how time consuming and fiddly it is to produce video. Um, it is. Yep. Uh, but I'm really proud of what we did, and I think it's. Uh, it's like my best work at explaining the stuff that I've learned over the years about software development. It's really, really, really good. I'm really proud of it and I'm glad that we did it. And what happened was um, when we sort of realized that uh, we needed to crunch on, on school to finish the, the flaming thing, um, mm -hmm. we, had to, we had to stop working on Pro. So we kind of, and, and it would just reach that point in time where we were like down on it anyway. And uh, you know, what users were still rattling around and it weren't very interested in it, weren't very happy with it. So we were just like, right, okay. So, so we just kind of, you know, wandered away from it for a while and, and focused on this other thing. But what it allowed us to do is it gave us a break, gave us some distance. We also actually um, firmed up our own confidence about how to build software as a, as a group. Cause there's still, I mean, you'd be surprised um, how much, uh, you know, people who are used to training other people on how to do software development can disagree with each other about exactly how to do software development. Um, but yeah. some things came out of the, the development of that video series that helped us to sort of firm up our own ideas. Um, and we got some distance from it. And um, when we decided to come back to it, we came back to it with, yeah, six or nine months of distance and my word, yeah, the next summer we went away to Aslak Summer Cabin in Norway and we argued about whether to throw the code base away or and start from scratch or to mm. strangle it, as Martin Fowler calls it. It's kind of an ugly, ugly name, but like, um, you know, build a new, a new one out of the ashes of the old one kind of thing and, and keep, keep the thing alive. What, what did you decide to do? We decided to throw it away. Mm. And um, I still am a bit, uh, I regret that we weren't able to sort of keep the users with us. That's the thing that I think was a shame. Mm. So that was 2015, late 2015, and we're uh, nearly two years on from that now. And we just started letting users in properly in July of this year. So it's taken us since kind of October 2015 to, to just recently to, to really have something that was in, in a shape where we could start letting users in. Um, but we you know, what we have now is we have a code base, we have a platform that we're happy to build more features on top of. Um, it's, it's turning out to be uh, sort of an enjoyable user experience for people. So I think we did make the decision, the right decision to throw away the old to, to to not continue to build on the old co old co base, I just wish there had been a way that we could have sort of kept the flame alive in the intervening time. Right. Well, a couple questions on that. So, if you 
Um, before, you know, it was more technology first. How did you uh, look at building the product this time and what, how right. to figure out what were the most important things to include and all of that? What, was, what, was that, what did you learn from the first time? Yeah. So I think what we learned was that there were some basic bits that everybody needs to be able to do that, that they weren't able to do with um, the, the interactive editor yet. Um, so like, for example, just being able to read the documentation and have it look nice, um, is actually, and, and, or like from my point of view as a developer, being able to publish the documentation so that you as my business stakeholder can see that stuff. And I kind of feel proud of it because it looks great. Okay. Just that, um, on its own is, is really important to people. And we weren't doing that because what we had was like a kind of geeky looking editor thing with, you know, fixed width font and. Um, and the other thing was that that interactive editor was actually very intimidating to anybody who was new to Cucumber and the, and that, and that feature file structure that you, you have to have for a specification. Cause it was just like a, you know, a blank sheet of paper. It's like, well, what do I type? What am I supposed to type? Yeah. That is, a blank sheet of paper is really intimidating, isn't it? I, I don't like, I don't even like using like, um, like word or any sort of document thing like that i often will write like in a in an email like actually write write like in emails or other something else smaller that doesn't feel so intimidating yeah and, and any of these tools are easier if they're task focused so yeah you know it's easier if the tool is kind of guiding you through it and saying well what do you, you know or making it easy for you to to do the thing that you're trying to do so if if actually all you need to do is um make a comment on a on a on a line in a specification or correct a particular line in a specification you don't necessarily need to open the whole file up in an editor maybe what you need to be able to do is just you know click it and and amend it right um so but the whole thing about being able to amend the the files um we we've def we have continued to defer that so for the time being um, we're still we're still not letting people do that. Actually, so there's another thing that we learned about that as well. So, like in the in intervening time, we've been continuing to go out and do trainings. Like I, um, mm -hmm. I'm trying to get out of it, but I am still um, periodically going to people's offices and delivering training in, in BDD and doing like coaching and mentoring teams and and learning about how they're doing it. And the thing that we see that um, actually works best is if the document writing is like the feedback loop from the the developers and testers who know the least about the problem, they write the document and, sh and share that back. So you and I have a conversation, just a real good old fashioned conversation where I ask you questions and you tell me things. And then I take that understanding that I've gleaned from that conversation and I write it down in a, in a feature file specification and I share that back with you. And then you can say to me, yes, you get it. Or you can say, actually, no, that's not quite what I meant. And we can do that and we can iterate on that. And it's still quite cheap at that stage because we're just using words in a in a document, you know? Right. Um, rather than weeks of, of coding. And then once we're clear that we understand the thing and um, everybody sees it the same way, then I can start using those examples to, to drive out my code. So actually, is it necessarily all that useful for a stakeholder business person to be able to just open up an editor and start writing a specification in there and sort of press a button and push it at a developer? Maybe that's not even the way that we want people to be working together anyway. 
So what we built instead, so we did a bit of, um, you know, we, what, we, what we'd got from the first version was we'd got a set of people who were interested in um, being sort of early adopters of a tool like this. So we were able to spend time just on calls with them, interviewing them and asking them about what their processes were and what the pain points were. And the, what became clear was that the pain point wasn't really so much around like, I wish that my business analysts could just write these specifications on their own without my help. It was much more about, I wish we had some guidance in our collaboration together because often these teams are, uh, are, are also sort of learning how to do it. You know, there are a lot of teams that are picking this up as a new technique and they need guidance about how to do it. Um, so, so yeah, so the features we built there were first were around just publishing, just making it easy to, to read and making it look great and being able to discuss what's in the, the documentation. So having sort of inline commenting and, and conversations because um, that seemed like the more of the sort of heart of the problem. And the thing that we're working on right now is the sort of, again, it's one of these kind of almost table stakes features that we've we left out early on just because um, we knew we were going to have to get to it. Is just being able to display test results as well. So that's the that's the kind of thing that's going on right now with the with the product. And so when you uh, so what you did differently the second time I heard was beyond taking a step back, you also actually started talking with the folks that were interested. Which it sounds like had you done that before? Well, yes, yeah, somewhat, but it it wasn't mm. as broad. So it was more like ah. we've made this thing. What do you think? And uh, that was, and they'd go like. Um, it's okay, or yeah, I like it, but could you fix this or whatever? But you know, it was quite narrow, narrow feedback that we were getting, narrow information. And now the the conversations were much more like, how are you? How's Cucumber working for you at the moment? Who who is working uh, with it in your team? What problems do you have? You know, just asking much broader questions, getting a broader picture of the of their of their context. Well, it's it's so true because. I mean, we all know now we need to talk to folks. If we're building something, we need to talk with folks who might actually be interested in it and using it, correct? But there's also this idea of like how you do it, asking mm -hmm. broader, right? So it sounds like before your questions were too narrow. Now you're asking broader questions that allow the information that you really need to build the right tool to come out. Yeah, I think having the conf confidence to let a bit of that chaos into your life and... Um, ask those broad questions and you are going to get quite a noisy message back from that, but being able to sort of filter out where, where the signals are in that noise, um, you know, rather than kind of almost doing it. In, and I think, I do think that like Eric Rees and the lean startup thing has got a little bit to answer for here in that like, it, it sounds so enticing to just be like, I'm going to make a prototype and I'm going to get it out there real quick and real cheap and I'm going to get feedback on it and I'm going to iterate. But, you know, people are only going to give you feedback on, like, as a, as a, a in terms of um, uh, the gap between the thing that they see in front of them and the, the thing that they imagine they would like to have, Right. So the amount of feedback that you're going to get on that prototype is st is still going to be limited by what they see in the prototype. So you've got to be you've got to have a strategy. You've got to have a, a plan about where you want to be putting your prototypes. You know what you're trying to test, what you're trying to figure out, what are, what are your um, what are your unknowns. 
And um, that was another thing that I think we've tried to do more this second time. I, I was just, I'm, I'm hesitating because I think we've slightly lost the habit of late, but um, we definitely mm. did it really well early on, was we built code that we knew we were going to throw away. So we never threw anything away with V1. It was always like, oh, we've got to keep that. We haven't got time to, to rework it. Or, um, But this time we would deliberately sometimes build uh, prototypes of things and show them to users and say, what do you think of this? And it would be really like, we just knock this up in a day or two because we want to explore whether this might be a useful feature for people. And we, and we reckon we'll get richer feedback if there's something they can interact with. But we're no way married to the idea that this is then going to get developed into real code. Right, you're it, not, and, it sounds and, like, a, yeah, like attachment. You're not attached to that code. Yeah. You know that you might throw any or all of it away. Yeah. Wow, that, that's so, that, that, that's, that's such a powerful thing because I feel like a lot of times if you're a creator or a builder, you want to build something and so you start really putting a lot of time and energy and perfection into building something yeah. before you're actually really sure whether that's what, exactly what your people really need. Well, but and, but this, is, this is still the challenging thing, like where we're at right now with it, uh, you know, we've let a few people in to start using it some of them are in some of them are interested some of them are saying it's not ready yet we need it to do this this and this um and so you know there's still kind of there's a large and i do think as well that you know like i re i remember when uh joshua Schachter made uh delicious and mm -hmm. i don't know how much he sold it to yahoo for but like he made it in his bedroom didn't he um <laughs> and there was a few pearl scripts and and like, I remember when the web was like that, but nowadays people have really high expectations of what the kind of base minimum functionality of a, of a, of an application is going to be. And I think it's, it's very difficult to build that level of sophistication, you know, just, just with your own bootstraps. It's, it's really challenging because um, people have got these high expectations. There's a, there's a lot to do, and, and even if it's just like the mundane stuff about like being able to reset your password and all that stuff. Like it has to be there. People, other people, otherwise people don't take you seriously. And so, is that when you were doing the second version? How did you kind of keep that in mind or make sure? Well, because right there's a there's an edge there. They, there's an expectation of what a, of what what an app should do. Right, but at the same time, you're still sort of experimenting and trying to figure yeah. out exactly what it is. How did you find that balance? Well, I don't know. I mean, you're oscillating all the time, um, and also, you know, if you've got a set of users and and you uh, all you've got to say to them at the end of the week is like, "Hey, you should check out the the new password reset screen." Um, you know that, that no one's no one's going to be uh, excitedly going out to tell their team members about that, are they? So you've got to try and kind of feed the feed the pipeline with a with a mix of um, a mix of these things, so that there's there's things that are that you're learning interesting stuff from, um, which hopefully also going to kind of keep users intrigued and interested. And then there's just yeah, getting the basics done as well. So we, we've we've tried to try to sort of juggle that, and to some extent um, using contractor friends as well to come in and help us to build those bits where. Um, there's not as much communication or back and forth or creation required, creativity required in the in the feature. It's just like, make sure people can reset their passwords, please, Josh. Thanks. 
Right, yeah. right, right. So a, a, a little bit, bit of mix. And I want to circle back to something you said um, a little bit earlier about um, the process of inviting and really speaking with users and mm. maybe not having such a clear idea and inviting chaos in. Um, and so how did you, which is, can be scary, right? I can see in a way in which you want to say, okay, I know exactly what this thing should be because then I could just move forward. And, and let's be honest, you have more control then, right? Um, but, but that inviting that chaos in. So how did you uh, find the threads through that, like allowing that chaos to come in and to let, asking those really broad questions? How did you discern through that? Yeah, I don't know. I I think um, it may turn like out to have just been just been my biases. So I mean, there are there are there are methodologies for this and techniques, aren't there? If you're a professional product manager and product designer, and I'm not, and I've been amateuring as our product owner for this um, for this product for the last uh, year or eighteen months or so, um, and sometimes I feel really out of my depth in that way because I I am not very scientific about that sort of thing um you know but i i do know these people quite well and because we're doing this is the beauty really of the training part of our business is that you know people are paying us to come out and meet our our users right so like we go and do a training course with a room full right. of 30 people um at uh, some investment company or whatever in the in the us and those are exactly the people that we want to be using this tool and so we get to hear about all their problems and think about what their priorities are so um yeah i mean actually like what so what we did was we, we used tools like jeff Patton's story mapping mm -hmm. um uh impact mapping as well to to sort of figure out what the big themes were and then we use those conversations with users to get a sense of where their priorities were. So, you know, do they do they want us to be doing, what do they want us to do first? Does search matter more than test results? Yes, it does, right? So we'll build search first. And then just the <coughs> good old fashioned uh, agile techniques of fine slicing things. So we try and build us, you know, a minimum viable feature set for search so that we can move on and, and start building something for test results and, and iterate from there. So, yeah, so what I'm hearing is that, you know, in speaking with folks, she, you use some tools like story mapping, impact mapping, but you also use, you know, agilist kind of, agilist kind of <laughs> techniques, uh, like minimum viable something and being aware that you're going to throw something away. And that kind of helped you sort through the chaos. Yeah, yeah. And I do think it, there is a bit of um, just listening. And I, I really think the thing that's helping as well is, you know, making it real, thinking about real people, being able to bring real people into the conversations as much as possible and yeah. <laughs> figuring out who those archetypes are that you're aiming the product at and then reflecting regularly when you're talking about a feature or talking about prioritizing, you know, should we do this bit or that bit? Can we leave this bit till later? Think about how it's going to be used. Think about that individual, like what are they going to value? What are they going to need? Because it really, I think it's a lot of this is about there's tons of stuff that you could make and you haven't got the, there's you haven't got all the time in the world and certainly as a bootstrapper you haven't got all the resources to you know just throw a team or several teams at the at the problem right. so you've got to be really judicious about where you put your investment in and um, that does come from kind of keeping the 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 users right at the center of your your mm -hmm. thoughts so you the, you've got real people that you can refer to and say like oh, well I you know I don't know whether 
um, Desiree would really, really need this feature right now. Right. I really like that idea, keeping the, the user at the center of your thoughts. Mm. So um, what have you, uh, there might be many things you've learned, but the, through the process of, I mean, you know, you've been kind of working on this for not quite 10 years, but in some form, you know, you've been working on this for, for quite a while. What would, and, and I'm curious, what is the one thing maybe, or two things you've learned in the last few years, right, in these two versions? Um, that, that maybe was surprising to you or something that you'll always kind of take with you on for whatever you do next? Yeah, well, I think actually it's probably more about um, that some, than so much about the sort of techniques and practices that we've used on the tool. I think it's about, um, you know, it's hard work, this. It's, it takes a long time. It takes a lot of, it takes longer than you think. It's It's harder work than you think. It takes more resilience and determination and you think and I think you've got to believe in it I think it it's certainly helped me that like this is genuinely a problem that I care about that I feel that um needs it, it needs not you know, I'm not sure whether we're, we're going to be able to fix it but it it needs alleviating it, it causes human misery and I'm not you know I'm not solving world peace right <laughs> but there are lots of people that are wasting lots of time and lots of money on this and and it's something I can do something about yep um so I think that you need to believe in it um and you need to tr surround yourself with people that also believe in it and that you believe in that you trust you know and that mm -hmm. trust you and um find that same sort of relationship with the customers as well I think I remember Amy Hoy once saying like it you you're not gonna you're not going to be able to keep going if you don't care about your customers. If you don't actually, um, yeah, if you, if you don't think fondly of them, if okay. if you're because because this is a, you know it's, this game is all about keeping those customers satisfied and happy and thinking about their needs, and if they're not people that you care about, it's you're going to really struggle to do that. So I think that's probably the the main thing for me is finding meaning in the work and finding meaning in the um, in the relationships with the people you're working with. What a so great lesson. Yeah. yeah, what a what a great lesson. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I really enjoyed hearing like the backstory of Cucumber Pro and the different versions and uh, all the trials and tribulations. I think it was really, uh, really interesting and I learned a lot. So thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It was really nice to reflect on it. Yeah.